0: Welcome to the Starting a Counseling Practice podcast. I'm so delighted today to have Ellen Bader, who is an expert couples therapist, trainer, badass, um, one of the experts in the field here on the podcast to share her journey of becoming a therapist, starting her private practice, and then moving beyond the couch to training other therapists so that they can do really impactful work with couples so that we can have stronger relationships out in the world. Alan, thank you for being here.
1: Absolutely. I'm delighted to talk to your folks.
0: (laughs) It's going to be so much fun. So I always love to start with this question in sort of a, a minute or less. Why did you decide to become a therapist?
1: Um, that's a really good question because, um, for a bunch of years, particularly in college and right after college, I was conflicted. I wanted to go into politics and I also wanted to be a therapist that I actually did jobs in both arenas and went back and forth for a while. And even when I did my master's, I was kind of doing both things. And I finally ended up landing on, I think that, um, being a therapist is going to be long-term more satisfying.
0: Mm. What do you think it was about like the politics that really drew you? Like what was the core of it?
1: Um, I mean, I've always been doing social change work my whole life since I was in high school and I still do. So yeah. um, I deeply believe that part of our thing here on this planet is to do things that make a difference in broader ways, as well as in the therapeutic ways.
0: hmm So you're, you are a healer, you are a change agent, you believe in big systemic change. And it was just about like, well, how do I do that? And what's sustainable and, and what will feel really good for me? Right,
1: right. And I mean, and basically my whole life, I've been able to put them together to do both because I'm all like I said, I'm always doing some social action, social change work. But I'm also making a living, working as a therapist, and hopefully empowering other therapists to make a difference in people's lives as well.
0: You're you're definitely, well, I think that's the part that's so interesting. Sometimes we have these different parts of ourselves or different things that we're pulled in these different ways, but it's when they all kind of come together back into this magical place. And I think sometimes when, I wouldn't say when we're young, but maybe it's, it's, it's throughout our lives. Sometimes we could get into this like black or white thinking that it's either this path or it's that path, or it's this weird scattered path of like 17 different directions. And there's something magic when it all kind of like comes together and you're like, Oh
1: yeah, it's all of it. And I think often you can't see it like, because I do remember, all the times that I felt conflicted about, am I gonna do this or am I gonna do that? And I, at that point it really did seem like it had to be one or the other. And I couldn't have envisioned all the different ways it was actually gonna come together at that point.
0: It's it's such a metaphor for every area of our life. (laughs) Like I can't see the forest for the trees. Like I can't see except what is right in front of me. Okay. So you finally, like, I love that you're even like in your graduate program, doing both things, bouncing back and forth. You finally make the commitment from the point that you say like, yes, I want to be a therapist. How long did it take you at that point to move into getting finished with the licensure process?
1: Um, Another great question, because I finished my PhD, and then when I finished it, I didn't go right into licensure, I decided to take a took a backpack and traveled around the world for almost a year. And um, just let myself figure out what it was I wanted to do more of. Mm. And then when I came back, I really got serious about getting licensed and did a postdoc, and then, um, you know, went through the grueling licensing exam process. and. Mm. Um, and you
0: had all of the, the oral exams, yeah? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a whole, like, it's so lovely that a lot of that has, has fallen off. Um, yeah, and I was one of exams.
1: those who failed the written the first time, had studied a whole bunch for the second time, and then they go, whoops, actually, you really passed the first
0: time. Stop it, Ellen. Yeah. You've got to be I I'm one of those people. I never... There's a very small percentage of us out there, and people are like, well, "Does that really happen?" I was like, "It doesn't happen now, but it did then. They didn't have a good system in place." Oh my gosh! Yes,
1: I couldn't believe how much work I'd put in that I wouldn't have had to
0: put in. <laughs> my story is that I actually started an online study group after I after I failed my exam and got people together, and that's. And it became this whole process. I had like bought all of these study materials and started the study process. And then somebody else in the group got the letter and they were like, did anyone else get this? And I was like, wait, what? And it was, I was in that too. But it's actually, again, that like sometimes in retrospect that's how I became like so involved in bringing therapists together for community. That's ultimately why I started doing consulting and helping people with private practice and all these other places. Like if that hadn't happened, my life would look completely different. Yeah, interesting. You, know, it's, it's, you just never know how it's Great example of together. turning adversity into something positive. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, so at one point, so you're getting licensed, you go through the postdoc process. How long did it take at that time um, from, from getting back from backpacking until being licensed?
1: Well, it probably, took, it probably took close to two years to finish the postdoc. I got a paid postdoc, so that helped. I mean, I was doing a psych assistantship, so That's awesome. um, I was traveling to San Francisco and doing that. Um, and then after that, I had my hours done. It was probably close to a year because of what happened with the written yeah. Till I was uh, you know, really fully licensed.
0: Awesome. And then, at what point did you? What at what point did you know you wanted to do private practice in particular?
1: Um, I think I had always been gearing myself to do private practice because I didn't really want to work for somebody else. Yeah. Um, but I also a lot of my early experience was in psychiatric hospitals and in uh, a special program in San Jose um, that was a residential program. And I also really did like that work.
0: Mm.
1: Um, So for a while, when I started my private practice, I was still running some groups at a local uh, hospital here on a psych unit for probably two years after I was first licensed.
0: Awesome. And what was that first year of private practice like for you?
1: I mean, I think truthfully, I think I was very fortunate Um, because I knew a lot of people from all the psychiatric work I had done. And so I was one of those people who originally didn't have to market much to get enough income. Um, So I feel like I was incredibly fortunate in that way.
0: Well, I think there's like, it can be fortunate, but I also think there's something that what it says about you is that you built solid relationships in the positions that you had, that you really deeply connected with people, people respected you clinically, and that then led to the easy place of people referring to you because they liked you and trusted you. And I think it's a very interesting thing, even when I was coming up through my licensure process, there were people who were very kind to one another, and then there were people who were not kind, who were not kind to their patients, who were, you know, who were not kind in general. and and. And it made an impact. And I think there's sometimes this this assumption that like networking happens when you start your private practice or networking happens once you're licensed, but it actually happens from the time you step on campus and you start going through that schooling process, people are getting to know you and they're building relationships and they're making, um, I don't want to say assumptions, but like they're they're
1: They're making judgments
0: judgments and they're deciding. Like, is this someone I want to like have in my collegial circle? Is this someone that I would trust um, with with my
1: future patients? So that they don't even know they're doing it, but it's happening. Um, you're you're right. And you never know who you're gonna get referrals from either you know, there will always be surprises of somebody from your past who all of a sudden, I mean, I get referrals occasionally now from a nurse that I knew when I, on the psych unit, when I was 26 years old, Yeah, you know, and every now and then she just pops back into my life with a referral.
0: I, I actually had, when I was in grad school, I had a professor who was really frustrated that, I kept writing my papers and stuff around sexual assault and domestic violence and trauma because that's the work that I was doing. And she would say, like, you need to stop. Like, like these, this is you're you're talking about the same issues. Like, why don't you talk about other pieces? And then the first time she pulled me aside to do a consult for one of her clients for domestic violence or sexual assault, like my mind just exploded. Like, okay, I felt like I was getting in trouble for the fact that like I had a clear specialty, but here's how this completely shifted, you know? Like there's this, it's a very interesting dynamic change.
1: You know, another thing I think I should share, which um, might inspire a few people is when I was applying to graduate schools, my, one of my professors told me I shouldn't go to graduate school. He, they, he, to- he told me I should follow my boyfriend, get married. I would never finish a PhD. It was too hard and too grueling. And I really should give it up.
0: Wow. That inspired you,
1: didn't it, Ellen? Yeah, I did. I'm, <laughs> I'm a bit of a rebel. So it's, <laughs> it's like,
0: you do not tell the social a- the social change agent that she cannot do something. Not ever, because that's exactly what you're going to do. Right, right. Oh my gosh, it's just, um, it's, it's just shocking, right?
1: Well, and I've had, I had somebody who worked for us at the Couples Institute for a while, who was getting her MFT, and she'd had a horrible experience with a supervisor. And I've run into a lot of therapists who've had really rough experiences. Yeah. And you just got to believe in yourself and still know what you want to do and that you can do it. Yeah.
0: I think that place of really understanding your why and like, why are you doing this? And that like, this is part of, of like your purpose and finding the people who will support you and letting those be the voices in your head. And knowing that if somebody is, is being inappropriate, you know, unkind, they are not being who they should be as a therapist, it can be really hard. I think there's some systemic things with with this entire profession at every level, at every license or designation, where we kind of set people up to feel less than, to feel like they don't have options, like, well, this is my only alternative, and to not self-advocate. We teach them that they should advocate for their clients, but when it comes to advocating for themselves and saying like, hey, this actually isn't okay, people get punished. Um, and I think one of the things that I'm excited about is the more, and I know this sounds like a crazy thing, but I really think there's something about the more therapists that we have who are successful, who can set those boundaries and who can create great, healthy job environments for therapists, it gives these alternatives and it also starts to make it where like, no, you don't want to work in this place. And guess what? There's alternatives. Yeah. But, you know, like the more that we build one another up and we create really healthy dynamics and we learn how to do a business. Cause I think sometimes too people will get so burnt out through these experiences and have such negative traumatic experiences in the supervision and, and coming up process that they can sometimes internalize that and start to become that person whom they hated and who they never wanted to be. And they couldn't imagine, or sometimes they even um, start to internalize business practices that didn't work for them because they weren't paid well, but now they're going to create a practice that doesn't work. And so they can't pay their employees. And so then we just keep this thing running down the path. that doesn't work.
1: Yeah, I mean, you and I could get into a whole political discussion about the field because right? I have some pet peeves about the field right now. So I yes. love that you're saying what you're saying.
0: Well, and I think too, like the I'm so excited that they took, um, they they stopped doing, and I know it's different on, at every level, but like intern was a, a term in California, which we both happen to be in for a post licensure person. So people were getting out with, a, or I'm sorry, post um, master's degree. So people were getting out with a master's degree, going and getting unpaid internships <laughs> out in the world because they were an intern, which federally was absolutely illegal. But we were literally had these carve outs in our laws that made people think that it was legal to have these internship experiences. And it, it wasn't legal. Like that's not how the world works. Um, And I think the next place for us now that we don't have that and we're getting more clarity is I think giving people the option to have more of their post masters um, or even some of their pre things that we can open things up to for profit institutions, because unfortunately, I think the for profit in many cases are actually doing a better job taking care of employees. Than the nonprofits and some of the public institutions that we were like, well, we don't want people to be um, exploited in these for-profit institutions, so we're going to require them to be in these for-profits who are absolutely exploiting them. So I think we need some systemic change in that area too. but. Anyways,
1: <laughs> well, like I said, I, I could go off on a few of my pet peeves too, so we could have that conversation. Right. I know that's not why we're here. But. I know, I know. But so, so when did
0: you um, when did you start to move into your specialization as a couples therapist? When did you know that this was your lane?
1: Um, so uh, so my journey actually went. I did my dissertation on family therapy. And I was initially in graduate school and all that, a family therapist, and I got to see how messed up a lot of couples were. Then when I first got into private practice, though, I was getting a lot of individual therapy referrals. Mm. So I would say my first four years or so, I was doing a lot of individual therapy. And I was pretty miserable. Actually, Mm. I did not, not that I don't like to do individual work, because I still do some, but it wasn't really, you know, it wasn't my passion, it wasn't driving me. And at the time, this sounds funny now, but at the time when I decided to specialize in couples work, I had several mentors who told me I was going to starve if I did, and that it wasn't, it it wasn't a viable specialty. And, um, and it really, at that time there was very little training involved uh, available in couples work. Mm -hmm. It was the, you know, the heyday of family therapy, Mm -hmm. but nobody had very few people had focused on the, the dyad and what went on in couples. And so I went on like when, when my husband and I decided we were going to specialize in couples work, we started like reading everything we could get our hands on trying to get training. Um, We started surveying all the couples we worked with about what was working for them, what wasn't. We started doing, we did a lot of intensive five-day workshops for couples and we got, and then we interviewed them afterwards. We gave them forms to fill out afterwards. Like we really kept asking the couples, what's working for you? What, where's the benefit coming from? And really pretty much developed our whole model out of some of that.
0: What what year was it that you started doing the, the five-day workshops with couples?
1: Do you know? Um, I think it was 1986, maybe.
0: Wow. Right? So started down this path. And at that point, having like a five-day intensive couples workshop was not a thing.
1: No, it wasn't.
0: <laughs> How did it feel even like that point of... How did it feel to go out and be doing something so different without like a lot of like guides out there as to how to do that? How did it feel kind of stepping out into that
1: space? Um, It was scary. Mm -hmm. And it was also challenging because this was the first time when I had to learn how to market. And also we were like, can we take any couple? We We put a lot of time into interviewing the couples to see who, you know, we didn't want somebody psychotic or actively addicted to come. Mm-hmm. And so we ended up putting in a lot of time. So there was a lot of learning mm-hmm. that happened in that, but it was, it was challenging.
0: Yeah. And, and what was the response even from other clinicians for you, for you guys doing something out of the box? Were they excited and supportive and referring their clients or were they, were you having more of these naysayers
1: saying, mm, I don't know, this seems like It was, it was a little bit of both um, in that we did an interesting thing with those five day workshops, which every one of them, we took eight therapists along to watch the work and to be, to be trained as part of it. Mm -hmm. And so the people who came loved it Mm -hmm. and then they would refer people to future ones. And, and we also were very clear, we weren't going to steal their clients. They would would get sent back to them. Mm -hmm people who didn't know us as well were very afraid of sending clients because they thought they're going to have this intensive experience and then they're not going to want to come back and work with me again.
0: And, and it's the absolute opposite, right? They have this transformative experience and now they can go back in and like really dive into the work in like a deeper way where they can see the, the benefit, you know, and, and I, I think that that place of getting people connected in and having a transformative experience makes people like, yes, we need couples therapy. Like this is exactly what we need.
1: Well, and I loved it too, because it, in a, in a very many, many way it became a form of social action because we would have like gay or lesbian clients in there. And we'd have some very traditional, more right-wing folks. And, on two different workshops, we had men who threatened to leave the first day because there were lesbian couples in there. And we had to talk them off the ceiling to stay. And one of them on the last day, he was crying. And he said, the person in this workshop who is most like me is Lisa, who was one of the women. So it was, you know, in just small ways, it was, it was a little form of social action.
0: That, like, legitimately brings tears to my eyes, Ellen. Like, that is just beautiful. And in the thick of it where I think right now, the idea of, you know, in 2021 saying, like, of course, you know, someone doesn't get to say, hey, you're going to, you know, I'm going to leave if you don't make that lesbian couple leave. But I I don't think in 1986, like, that was, that was a behavior that would be supported in 99%. of of situations and for that couple to see someone who was like supporting and protecting and saying, yes, you belong here, your couplehood belongs here and it belongs to be in an integrated space. It doesn't need to be often a separate place where you have your own, you know, workshop is just, ah, I love it. I just get chills. (laughs) Um, Okay. So you're going down this path. You're learning to market. What were the things that you were most surprised about as you started learning how to market and get these couples coming in for these five-day workshops?
1: Um, I don't know if there were surprise. I can tell you a surprise later, but at that point, I think it was all about relationships. Mm-hmm. The relationships we built with the therapeutic community and. Mm-hmm the willingness like to tell people, if a therapist sent somebody, we would give them feedback afterwards about their couple. Um, it was just building strong relationships that helped the marketing of that.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I'll tell you the biggest surprise to me across the board for marketing, which is a really good thing for therapists now,
0: mm-hmm.
1: is that the number of people who will pick a therapist off the internet I mean, when we started, there was nothing like that. Yeah, and it was all going out and doing speaking in the community, Mm -hmm. training there. You know, it was. And when I like in this first couple of years, where people actually contacted us because of our website, and it was it was a mind blower to me at that point (laughs) (laughs) because I just couldn't believe that people would choose their therapist that way.
0: Well, and now it's always that. It's always done that way. Okay, so here's my here's my experience. So I'm in that weird cusp middle ground. So when I was in grad school, and I started looking for a therapist, I started going through the um, through the yellow pages and like calling people because I didn't and I would ask around and like no one I knew was like doing therapy. So I didn't really have any kind of connect in that way. And I had such a terrible experience calling people on the phone. And then I even had, they would be like, well, I don't really know. You just have to come in. So I would, I was going to multiple sessions, scheduling people just to like, they're like, usually you just go to three sessions. So I paid at that point, a hundred or something dollars per session, um, just to get a sense of who this person was. Right. But the first therapist that I found on the internet was y'all. Um, I was looking for a, a couples therapy retreat and I found the Couples Institute. It was when I was married and at uh, 25 years old or what have you. And I, I do remember like sending in, there was something about like referring from another therapist. And I was like, no, I'm a therapist in school. Like, Again, it seemed, I remember getting an email back that seemed like, oh, oh wow. Like I remember there being surprised. There was something, interesting about that part of like, how did you find us? How are you self referring to this process? And um, it was a great experience. And I very much appreciated it. (laughs) I'm glad it was a good experience. Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, awesome. Okay. So in terms of like, figuring out the financials, I think that's such an interesting place when you're doing something that's out of the box, in terms of figuring out like, okay, I know, for a couple session, I can kind of figure out the math of that. I could figure out the the math of an individual session, but doing these events, having therapists come in, all these kinds of different pieces, what was that like figuring out how to make this actually viable and profitable?
1: Um, Well, obviously the first thing was, since we were doing these as residential in other places, the first thing was just really getting a good look at what's it gonna actually cost. So we definitely have to earn substantially more than it actually costs because we're going to have a lot of hours into it Yeah. in addition to it. And when we started it, we kind of said, we'll be okay for one or two of these if we break even just as we're learning, what does it really cost? We're trying to track our hours, whatever we're building a reputation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we're going to start incrementally increasing it so that we're getting paid well for doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and, and it was interesting adding the training piece for the therapist, because we wanted to make that, uh, we could have charged a lot more money for that than we did, yeah. but we wanted to make it viable for training therapists and that they would have a really good experience for a reasonable amount of money. And then we had to figure out where is that in this profit? Cause we want a little bit of profit from that for sure. Um, and so it was just gradually working it out um, over time so that it was an in- increasing profit. Yeah. And eventually we you know we ha- our daughter was born, we couldn't travel as much, couldn't mm-hmm. take her out of school, and we began Pete began to do more weekend workshops with more couples, and those became very lucrative. Um, and they were easy to set up because we'd put so much time into marketing the five day workshops. Yeah. You're
0: like, oh, just for a weekend? Like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. No problem at all. Awesome. So do you think that for that first workshop that you did, do you feel like you
1: guys broke even or? I mean, we definitely, we did more. We did better than break even if you didn't count all of our hours. (laughs) (laughs) right?
0: (laughs) You're like, if we counted all of the hours, then we just
1: gave our, we just paid for a master's degree. I mean, we probably... (laughs) We probably, I mean, we probably got paid about thirty dollars an hour for all the hours that we put in for the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, in the first, because it, you know when you're doing something new, yeah, there's a lot of creative time. There's a lot of thinking time. There's a lot of, mm-hmm. and and then eventually you get systems in place and things that were hard become easy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So what does what does your life look like right now? Like in terms of clinical practice and in terms of training other therapists, like what is the world of Ellen Bader look like now?
1: Um, It's got a lot of components to it. So so on a normal week when I'm at home, um, Mm -hmm. I probably still see about 15 hours of clients. Oof. Okay. Okay. You know, 90% of that is couples. Mm -hmm. Um. And then I also spend a lot of time training therapists. I have an online training program with therapists all over the world. So I am I put a lot of time and attention into that community and building that community in a way that feels super meaningful to me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So that's a bunch of hours a week. Mm-hmm. Then I spend time running our business and that's another bunch of hours a week. Um, and then <coughs> I'm, Involved in setting up a counseling program in refugee communities in Kenya. So I'm also um, putting time into that every week.
0: So. so you work about 60
1: hours a week, yeah? No, probably. Well, if you count email, yeah, probably.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Ellen's like, no,
1: wait. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's probably, that's probably true. Um, okay. But, you know, everything I do now, I really like doing Mm. like, I mean, I don't like doing taxes, for example, or I don't like a certain amount of (laughs) answering email and things like that. But the actual service that I do when I'm Mm -hmm. um, on with training therapists or I'm with my clients or I I love what I do. So Mm -hmm. I feel very fortunate to have a really great business, make really good money, love what I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel very fortunate.
0: Well, I think, too, you're in a place like you mentioned that there was a time when when things shifted where you're like, oh, I have an infinite home. We're changing the model for that. And this is taking up a, a, a portion of my time. And then, like, I'm assuming you likely don't have children at home um, any longer. And so that changes things as well to be able to have that balance point throughout your lifetime um, and yeah. to be able to to shift that and find what works for your family
1: yeah I mean, in fact, I was very clear when i mean i have I have two stepdaughters and a daughter- and a biological daughter, and so during all those years, I was very clear that I wasn't going to work after three o'clock in the afternoon because yeah. I wanted to do all the after school stuff yeah. and and also, Pete and I divided things up where he did more of the couple's workshops, I did more of the training, and we didn't both travel at the same time,
0: yeah. Yeah, I think there's, there is so much room. And I think sometimes as therapists, we don't give ourselves space to ask, well, what do I really want? And what really works? What really works in our family? How do we figure this out? And I think there's also, there's a little bit of something which I think is interesting of, I'm seeing a lot of people feeling pressure to be equal wage earners, while one person is taking on more of the labor in the home and with the child rearing. And so there's a very interesting dynamic of, of saying like, okay, yeah. And wait, like there's, there is value to this as well. Um, And there's this, this weird tension that I feel like is happening um, as we're trying to figure out as a
1: culture, (laughs) how we're doing it as a culture. And one thing I do with a lot of my couples clients who are in that is actually ask them to chart out for two weeks, how many hours that home labor really takes, because people underestimate that enormously. And then it's very easy for some couples for one partner to be very dismissive of the other partner of what they're actually doing.
0: Yeah. And it's such an interesting thing too the amount of, um, of therapists and and couples even where they're having all this conflict around household duties. And you suggest, what if you had a housekeeper come in twice a month? They're like, Oh my gosh, I can't possibly afford that. Like, how dare we or what have you? And then they actually like start looking at what's happening. They, they try it out and they're like, that is the best money we've ever spent Uh, like we just created so much more balance inside of our relationship and there's more space for us to actually connect as a couple. Like, wow! Like, what what have we been doing? You know, right. with this expectation that somehow someone is magically going to be able to do all the things that someone used to do when they did not work and have a job,
1: right. or
0: that like the idea of like, oh, well, you have a part time job, you get off at three, and the fact that you're picking up kids and taking them to school and all these other pieces don't like fill that up like in a in an instant.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So you have this, this balance now, this um, doing all the things that you love. What are some of the things that you love most about training other therapists? I mean, and, and taking, cause you've been doing this again, since 1986, you've been serving these couples, going out, doing the work, finding out what's working, finding out what's not working and really creating processes and, and trainings to help what are the things that you see when you train therapists on how to do this couple's work?
1: Um, so I would say a, a few things. I mean, I could talk about that for hours. But um, So first of all, I have a strong belief that a couple's couples therapist can be exceptional in their work. They really can be. But it does take training. It's not something you can just go out and do, or it's not just interpersonal communication. Mm -mm. It's a much more complex process than that. So, I mean, what I love right now about training therapists is that I have this online community of people at different levels of training. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And so... I'm able to do different things with the different groups, depending on where they are in their level of training mm. and the level of dialogue and the level of self-disclosure for the therapist increases as they're in the community longer.
0: Mm.
1: So, um, I mean, we had an incredible case last week in a more advanced group of a biracial couple where, um, the woman is ready to leave she's the she's black and she's re- ready to leave her husband because his mother is racist mm. and the complexity of the case i won't go into it yeah. was enormous and you know we had people role-playing all these different pieces of racial issues of gender issues of family issues and it and and really being willing to say I'm scared or I don't know how to do this. I'm going to blow it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so that that's, that's one example where we, I work on the development of the therapist as a person, Mm -hmm. as well as the theory or the technique. Um, And I love building communities. So I love building the kind of communities where therapists really support each other and there's, it's not competitive and it's, Mm -hmm. they don't have to be afraid of showing their vulnerabilities.
0: This is the the piece that, you know, Kelly and I are always talking about the, there is this weird thing in our profession, the idea that like you get out of school, you have to do all the supervision and then you're licensed. And now like somehow like life happens and realistically the idea that like supervision consultation, that's something that's throughout our profession. That's not something that should ever stop having those consultation groups, that peer consultation, like the model, I think that's one of the good things about what we do when it's done well, the model of we should be talking to somebody one-on-one and we should be with our peers talking about cases on a regular basis, on a weekly or monthly basis. That's a model that I think people have lost because Unfortunately, it's done so poorly by a lot of nonprofits that, and, and different people that like people just can't wait to like be done with that, to graduate right. out of that. And it's more like, no, you get to graduate into really great consultation, a really great training that can take you to the next level. What I really love too about what you're talking about is I think sometimes there is this, also this piece of like this certification chasing of people going from like certification to certification and wanting to like put these different, like I do. And again, no, all of these things are great. No,
1: they're not.
0: Well, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of good training programs right? So there's a lot of good training programs. So like being an IFS therapist, I've, I've seen some great outcomes, brain spotting, EMDR, you know, EFT, there's a lot of really great stuff out there that are that are making big impact, especially if people are doing feedback informed treatment as part of that. However, just going from training to training and getting the 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 letters after your name and thinking that a that's going to bring you clients or b that that's going to really make you developmentally a great therapist I don't think is true like it's what happens after that it's what happens in depth of that it's the the deepening of like it's basically like okay you just went to grad school for this thing it's the what is the next piece it's about all the stuff that comes up for you internally through that process, like it's, it's, it's all the other stuff,
1: right? Right. I mean, you know, I mentioned my pet peeves earlier, but one of them that I really have now is the number of certifications and seals that can go on people's websites for a very small number of hours of training. And it, I mean, you just said it (coughs) really well because it's so much about who we are as people. And having a model that resonates with you that you can draw on. And then you can, you can add in pieces of all these things Mm -hmm. because that all of them have their usefulness, Mm -hmm. but don't pretend you can be a trauma specialist with six hours (laughs) of training or 10 hours of training (laughs) or, you know, an addiction specialist with um, an online course or, Agreed. I
0: think this is one of the things too, like people are like, I I always tell people like, you know how, like what certifications are? And they're like, well, what are they? And I was like, they're made up things. (coughs) They're literally like, there's no ruling about what somebody can call a certification and so I could come up tomorrow and say, here are the things you have to do. And then you'll have this certification. You'll have the Miranda Palmer certification of being an excellent therapist. And we've even had people from our business school boot camp say, can we get a certification? <laughs> I'm like as being a good private practice?" I'm like, well, yeah, but like, why? Like, what is that exactly? And what is the internal thing that you're really saying? Which is that like, I want recognition. for what I'm doing and I want a sense of like mastery and I want a sense of competence and I'm really looking for confidence. Years ago, Kelly and I had a a heat map. This is like kind of geeky. We had a heat map on our website. And what a heat map does is it shows where people click. So you can see like what are people clicking on the most and it kind of brightens things up. And the most fascinating thing that we found was that there was something that people were clicking on that wasn't a clickable thing and they were clicking on the word like subconsciously they were clicking on the word confidence. It wasn't a different color. It wasn't a click, but they were literally doing that. We went like, Oh yeah. yeah. Right. Like, Oh my gosh. Okay. So um, I,
1: let me say something, which is, yeah. you know, cause of the work you do and the work that we do. I mean, I believe so strongly in good mentorship yeah. and, um, you know i love what you and kelly do because you're you're being really good mentors to people and you know i've had a number of good mentors along the way for me and i really now know i'm a mentor for a lot of people yeah. and being a good mentor means i mean it's when you're being mentored sticking around for a while with your favorite mentors is going to be more valuable than jumping around to all kinds of courses. And like, they can really learn a ton from you guys about how to have a good, healthy business and create that. And, um, you know, when people come to me, I think they learn a lot about how to have a really successful couples therapy practice or relationship-based practice. And, and, And whoever their mentors are, just, I say, stay with them long enough Mm -hmm. that you benefit from the relationship and the learning and all that's involved in a really good mentorship.
0: Yeah. So how do people get started with your mentorship if they're looking and going, I don't feel like I have the confidence. I know we're excited that we actually, for anyone listening, you're the first to know, we're going to have Ellen coming to doing a training with us, one of our webinars next year. Um, in 2022. And we're so excited about her sharing some of her expertise with the community. But next year is a long way away. And y'all need some confidence right now. And Ellen has a webinar coming up.
1: Right. So I have one July 30th at noon. And it's a webinar really on um, using and understanding how couples therapy can be a modality for treating trauma. Mm. and I'm going to be I think saying some things that are new in terms of not not like I'm going to talk about five types of trauma that you see couples presenting in couples work and then which ones can be handled really well which ones might even be better handled in couples work than individual and which ones you know you want to send to EMDR or you want to send to individual therapy so I'm really going to be looking at how, how do you address trauma through couples work?
0: That's so, I, I, such a powerful topic. And I think there is this, especially in our culture, this very independence driven place of, okay, you need to go do your own work. You need to figure out your self-love. You need to work through all your trauma. And then at some time, you're gonna be able to like be in relationship with other people and have this like healthy dynamic. And yes, we should be doing our own work and yes, we should be figuring it out, but there are some things that like, we just cannot do on our own. We have to do them in relationship. Like we have to, we have to, we have to. So I am so excited about this topic. I hope that everybody here um, goes and listens to this webinar, even if you're an individual therapist, because I think this could be a really powerful of knowing when and how to talk with couples about going to couples therapists and, or, you know, when to refer out and how to refer out and whom you might refer out to when there are sticky points, right? In terms of, you know, what I'm trying to do is not really working, this person is stuck. And I think there has been this, this is one of my pet peeves, is individual therapists that sit stuck with a client And they keep doing the same thing and it's not making movement and they say well the client says that they're getting something out of it and the client wants to be here and they say they could never imagine ending therapy to me that is it's not always but it's often a red flag that there's something happening in that dynamic in that relationship they're getting something from you that like they probably shouldn't be getting from their paid therapist That we need to find a way to like integrate it into their, I don't say into their real life, but like into their external world so that they can graduate and say goodbye in a healthy and healing way at some point, right? Again, that's making a broad generalization. I know there's exceptions to everything, but like this place of understanding and saying like, hey, I've been trying to do this work and there's somebody that's stuck. And hey, there's also this stuff that, well, once we figure this out in an individual, then you can graduate to couples. It doesn't always work. Right. Right. Oh my goodness. So check out the show notes. Um, you can go to zinni.me.com forward slash podcast. We'll have all the links so you can get signed up for that webinar. Um, if you're not already a part of our, um, our community, check that out. We have a um, free community to kind of be connected and be in the know for when Ellen comes and speaks with us as well. And, um, go, I hope to see you all at that training, the end of this month.
1: Yeah, and I would love to actually also say, um, if your folks will go to our website, which is just couplesinstitute.com, two things, there's a huge history of therapist blogs there. So there's lots of free, really good information about working with couples. And there's also some, you know, products and things that we sell, but, you know, take advantage of what's there for free. And read through it, see if it's a model that resonates with you at all. And th- there's even transcripts of sessions and what I was thinking at times and stuff like that, that you can uh, go through. And um, there's always a little banner at the top that says the the most next thing we're doing that's available for a larger group of therapists to attend.
0: I mean, think about that, like the value of that, guys, that... You can literally see a transcript of what a good couples therapy session looks like for a particular, for this issue and see what's happening with an, in the background for an expert in working with couples, like go and check that out. Couplesinstitute.com. Super easy. You probably can just even type in if you're misspelling it. If you misspell Couples Institute in Google, it will probably still send you directly to Ellen. and we hope so. I'm sure it does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm the queen of like typoing things and being like, I can't figure out why, why am I spelling this wrong? And I just put into Google and it's magic. It just knows exactly where I need to go. All right. So as we close up today, do you want to share, what's your biggest piece of advice to a therapist that is Um, that is starting a counseling practice, what's your number one
1: tip for them? Um, I really will say two things. One, One is expect that there's going to be some discouraging times or some hard times that comes with it, but get a good mentor and you can create an amazing life for yourself. I mean, you know, we are fortunate as therapists that we can make our own schedules. We can work at home or work in the office now. I mean, there's so and the more you touch with what really resonates with you, you can create an absolutely amazing life.
0: I could not say better than myself, Ellen. I love it. I love it. I love it. So go check out the um, Make sure that you're connected with zinnyme.com as well. And until next time, guys, go out and Be you in the world. We need more great therapists like you in private practice.